1: Ciao, his 500th appearance in charge, Mike Dean totally screwed Arsenal, and to celebrate that, we're going to spend an hour calling him a wanker. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Anki Gunner. Mike Dean gonna Mike Dean, and there's no un-Mike Deaning Mike Dean, and that's just the way it goes, and I gotta level with you. This whole media loving, oh, isn't he cute, he's fun, he's part of the spectacle, his 500th get screw that. He is an incompetent bastard and I hate him and uh, there's lots of interesting statistics floating around the internet uh, detailing just how incompetent he is and how that incompetence has cost Arsenal whether you want to call it bias or incompetence I definitely suggest you go look for the video of him celebrating a Tottenham goal while he was actually refereeing a match to decide what you think but we'll definitely be getting to Mike Dean and the penalty he didn't give that was definitely a penalty and if you disagree that's fine But there is no room for disagreement here. Uh, In any event, we have a podcast to do. And I'm not going to waste time with a bunch of housekeeping and all that stuff, except to say that I will be on the hot mic for the Chelsea game. So if you want to uh, look on our Twitter feed or look up hot mic, you can get the app for Android now and for iPhone. It's totally free. You just put in code Arsenal. You can join me for live commentary. There's video, but you don't have to watch the video. It will sync up with your TV. So if you're watching in the U.S. or the U.K., uh, it will sync up. If you're watching overseas, you might have to sync it a few different times. Uh, when I say overseas, other than those C's, you, you get the idea. Anyway, um, so yeah, you can join me for live commentary on Hot Mike for the Chelsea game tomorrow. That is tomorrow uh, as of when we're recording this. In any event, let's get on with it. Paul's on Twitter at pause with My Pants. Low pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim can't make it, and I'm really hopeful that Tim's week isn't ruined twice by uh, Chelsea because he did have to sit through uh, the women losing to Chelsea, and that was a pretty unfortunate event. So uh tim is not with us right now uh in part out of protest for chelsea generally their existence but also because he's got other things going on but he will be back in the future uh scott of course we'll be back on in the future but if you want to get more scott we've got a weekly analytics pod with him on patreon as well as clive's weekly transfer pod which will be coming up later so we'll probably talk bruno Guimaraes and uh kurzawa on the transfer pod we may touch on it a bit today but there's lots to get to from the sheffield game and i want to start with that so paul um you know good lineup best i think you can do given that obama yang is not involved and i think we will probably have to touch on the fact that obama yang wasn't involved at various points in this podcast because ultimately you win a game by making the most of just those few moments football is is really ultimately the byproduct of just a few moments whether you're dominating or whether you're being dominated um and whichever you prefer we make no judgments here we don't kink shame um and we didn't you know necessarily have the guy who's most poised and positioned to to do that for us. But in the first 15, 20 minutes of this game, it wasn't good. It, it reminded me of the poor spell we had against Palace, the poor start we had against Leeds, although with a little less pressing, uh, certainly, than Leeds did. Sheffield are a good side. Sitting sixth in the table, deservedly so. I think calling them a newly promoted side is sort of a way of overemphasizing a viewpoint if you want to make the result look terrible. But they are a good team with a fantastic coach. Um, and we really struggled to handle handle them in the first 15 minutes. Do you have any sort of thoughts on why that opening period was so challenging for us, what we were doing wrong and why we weren't really able to get out?
2: Uh, I've almost no thoughts. I think so. Obviously we were that, by the playing way, out from the back. That's
1: not great for a podcast. Can you fabricate some fabricate fabric? Can you fabricate <laughs> some thoughts?
2: <laughs> well, well, I could be honest, but I do have a couple of thoughts and then I'll lob it back to you. So we're, clearly committed to in this game and every other game playing out from the back. And they certainly start off uh, Sheffield uh, with a heavy press man to man, putting us under pressure. And we're, we're a bit slow to get going. On the other hand, there's a couple of times we break through um, and some nice moments in the first 15 minutes, but mostly it's the energy of their press and us being sloppy with the passes uh, not really executing out from the back, and it takes a while for their energy to drop a little bit and for us to start clicking with the passes. And clearly we settle into a pattern um, pretty quickly where we're passing in a horseshoe along the wings, <coughs> which has good and bad in it, but eventually we start to click, and that kind of takes us through the rest of the first half. But in the first 15 minutes, I think our commitment to, commitment to playing out from the back and the fact that we have hollowed out the midfield and left Torreira there uh, often surrounded in effect by four of their players meant they could press and they could press us out to the wings and it took us a while for our, our passes to start hitting. But we had a couple of moments. There's a moment after about two, three minutes where Chaka drops back into that left back position where he plays for most of the game while we're in position. And we play it very neatly up the wing And we create a really good opportunity, but that was the exception more than the rule. So that was my, that's my memory of the first 15 minutes. Over to you, Elliot.
1: Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, uh, even at the 12-minute mark, when we were still, I think, being pretty handily pushed back and, and not under control of the game yet... We had one of the moves of the game where Lacazette drops into about the halfway line, digs out a through ball for Pepe between the fullback and the center back, right? And Pepe's in behind. Really nice burst of pace. Beautiful crossover to Martinelli, who can't quite make the right contact. Maybe could have played it back to the penalty spot to Ozil, but I think he has every right to shoot there and just blaze it wide. Pretty well wide, but still a great move. So it's not that we were totally lifeless, but we just struggled to come to terms with it. And, And Clive, I think Paul hit on something really interesting. Look, there is no denying that the shape and the the positioning of our players under Arteta has made us more secure. We are not defending huge patches of pitch, you know, uh, huge swaths of the pitch with single players and, you know, that we're not running back towards our goal. We're not having to make crucial interventions in space. I mean, maybe a little late in games when we're chasing a winner, but for the majority of games, we're not. Uh, but this has come maybe at the expense of a few players. I think Pepe... Uh, in the sense that Maitland-Niles is not being given the license to overlap. But I think the one I want to focus on for the early phase of the game, if you're okay with it, Clive, and we can come on to Maitland-Niles uh, sort of system mm. deployment as okay. well. But but let's start with Shaka for a second, because yep. I love this conceit of Shaka dropping in to the line of three, you know, making a third sort of center back in the first phase of the buildup. It pushes David Luiz central where he can push forward a little more and and, and we can use his distribution Um, it adds a little extra security playing out from the back. So we're not seeing those calamitous moves where we're turning the ball over deep and it's costing us. But against a Sheffield team that did pack the center of the pitch, it leaves Torreira fairly isolated. Ozil maybe not dropping in and helping as much as he could, but I think it does really put more pressure on the fullbacks. And at least early in the game, I don't think they they were helping. Maitland-Niles is passing. I I think he's actually an excellent stand-up tackler. I think some of his passing is a little loose. I don't think it's as good as it could be. And I don't think Saka is totally comfortable w- with building play from the back. You know, it it's, still looks a little uncomfortable to him. So do you think that the, this idea of Saka dropping into the back line in the first phase of buildup makes us more secure, but maybe does make it a little harder for us to progress the ball out of our half?
3: Yeah, so you almost need two Shackers, really. One oh to, God. You know, to build, <laughs> I'm not sure I to want build one. play from the back. <laughs> yeah. Also, you want somebody slightly and higher up. And a good up. one. Yeah. Two, two good shakers. yeah. <laughs> two good shakers. thank you, thank mm-hmm. you. But one that can fizz the ball into Ozil's feet from from 15 yards higher up, right? So so what do we decide? We're mitigating the risk, haven't we, with Shaka? We know in crowd seeds he can do various things, and what his natural personality is is to put out fires, even though the fire's not even started. But I tell you what, i will going to put a fire out over there and give, a, give them a penalty. He's a narcissist. Yeah, by <laughs> putting, him in a, putting him in a nice square where he's comfortable, where he can see everything, we get a good 7 out of 10 shaka every week now because he's not in a situation where he's dramatically at risk. And then when he gets you know, blocked off, We've got david louise next to him and it's no surprise in this game that they are really driving the bus there are our two top passes what chef united did very very well is a well you know what Arsenal are quite bright up front let's try and cut off the lines to ozil and pepe and and lacazette and let's try to cut them off and let's try to make them go long into our back three and that's what we're really trying to do and so sometimes every game we always hear me say every game's got a different story And someday it's your day, and someday you're the free man, and someday you're the one that has to really impact the game. And some days you have to work harder to impact the game. You have to work hard to get to free yourself from your man. You have to come a bit deeper to get a bit of rhythm to pull people around. And you've got to show that proactive, tactical awareness to recognize what they're trying to do and try to change your game to solve the problem. I think we're doing better at that. And you're absolutely right earlier about the shape of the team, et cetera, and the distances and the roles and responsibilities. We all know the 2-3-5 the formation as we go forward and build play. None of us saw it beforehand, but we all love it and know it now. Do you see what I mean? And we're loving what they do with the inverted Maitland Nulls, mm. partner cusford Palace, where he's forced to touch on a lot more. And so it's quite nice to see us look at a game, even the first 10-15 minutes, and recognise what they have, and then find a way around it to sort of build ourselves into the game, which I quite liked. The problem is we all judge our games on what we do when we're in charge. And I felt in our upper third, when we were in charge, I still didn't feel the, the devastation and the impact from a couple of our more senior strikers. Yeah. You know we say, or forward thinking. Mm. Well, players.
1: yeah, we'll, we'll, come,
3: we'll come to that. Yeah. I'm not going to look at I hope she would. I've been waiting all day. <laughs> well, will, we will. yeah,
1: don't worry.
3: And, um, And I think then that changes everything when you see the output and the productivity. And I just felt it's okay okay to play a good side that's looked at you and made you try to do something else, block off your, your better players. It's what you do to go around it. And we went around it down the sides, and we did okay. But we didn't quite do enough to fix the problem. And I think we didn't have enough quality on the pitch to make that a two-goal start is would to lead us to winning the game.
1: Yeah, and I mean, look, we will come to it because it is a huge talking point. I don't want to get to it just yet, but football is about moments. And if Mike Dean gives the penalty and we go up 2-0, it's a different yes, game. Sir, and I think thanks. the analysis of the game is different. You know, we, It is definitely the case that we are still constantly fighting results-oriented analysis. And I, I'd like to believe that on this pod... We try to avoid that, that we try to give our honest assessment of performances, both individually and collectively, based on how the team played, because process is better than, you know, good process is better than good outcome from bad process. That was really poorly said. That was a bad process of getting to my point. Um, but, you know, we saw in that long winning run under Emory or unbeaten run under Emory last season that the process wasn't great, and we saw where that led. So I'm getting off topic. Well, let's let's start to shift, and I mean, just just to the point, you know, Saka, for example, in the first 15 minutes completed three of nine passes. <clears throat> you know, uh, Maitland-Niles, seven of ten, but really nothing going forward out of his defensive third, and I, I do think that, you know, if you're going to drop Chaka in, if you're going to ask Terrera to cover that sort of central space surrounded by other players, and we know that he's sort of limited in terms of ball progression, that you do need the fullbacks to be able to be a little more com- comfortable sort of making a line of three. I think their role is to be that second line of three.
3: Right? But that's um, what you—that's what you think, right? Are we—are we, are we going to go there now? Well, uh, I mean,
1: you—you you think it should be Ozil? I mean, is that?
3: Well, no, i, I think we—we we have a system now where we have two at the back and we have three in front. Right, and then we have we attack with five.
1: But that but that's we, not how we're building, right? Because clearly we have three at the back building. Because Shaka is dropping in every time in the first phase to be part of the yeah. Back and three.
3: then I mean, as soon as the ball's released, he steps in. Yeah, he steps yeah. into he steps into midfield, right? So that's uh, that's that's semantics there, really. But primarily it's a two three five, or occasionally so it's a it's a three two five. But Shaka's doing two one and a half jobs, and he and he does it well. And Shaka, Saka, sorry, releases when Shaka is is pushed up. Right, and he disconnects and goes up. So I think we are we are playing to plan. And we're playing to a plan that we all want you to see with a clear structure on how we play. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're really talking about here Elliot, is how we solve problems. And your solution to solving problems is to add somebody else to it to make it a six-man forward line, potentially. And there, I think, we then get into the dangerous scenario where we're going to be back to the old vulnerable on the transition NBA basketball So you're talking
1: about my reference to Maitland-Niles like overlapping Pepe more? Correct, correct. Well, because clearly Saka's doing that, and clearly Maitland-Niles is not. And I I mean, Maitland-Niles had two touches in the whole game that were deeper than... The Sheffield 18 yard line. You know what I mean? The, the top of their yeah. box. So uh, that is not because Maitland niles doesn't want to go there. He has been instructed yeah. not to go there. So that's exactly. clearly by
3: design. Yes. Are, are, we, are we okay with that? I mean, all of us? Are we okay with that? I'm okay with it. Are, are, are we I okay am with and I'm
1: not. My, here's what I would say, Clive. If Obama Yang's on the pitch, maybe you say, that's fine, because what we're going to do is we're going to have our overlap be on the left because we're going to try to make the most of Obama Yang's runs, pushing him closer to the box. I get that. If he's not on and you've got Pepe, my only question is, if you don't have an overlapping fullback to pull a defender with him, is Pepe constantly facing double teams, constantly struggling to get into more uh-huh. dangerous positions?
3: You're now getting to the man that's under my spotlight. Pepe, so who's really? No. Who's the guy standing, no, oh, Ozil, the Ozil. Guy standing right. okay. next yes. to Pepe? Yes, Oh, okay. mm-hmm. uh, you, you This is Paul, great, we'll let right? you back <laughs>
1: in here in a second, but this is, if, if you're okay, this is good stuff. <laughs> go,
3: go well, this is, this is what we're talking about here. This is about problem recognition, right? So you absolutely, Pepe had a bright game. And for Erzul now this is really good. He knows where people are weak. He knows when someone's hot and he puts himself right next to him. Well, the guy who was hot was right next to you. Get yourself with him and start combining with him and cut these lots of shreds. And I don't think he did enough. I, I don't think he showed enough personality in this game, right? So, and I think because of that, also just you're as now, his general
1: range of passing. Sorry, to interrupt, but like was also just a bit off. Like there was a through ball into the channel for for Martinelli that just pushed him all the way to the touchline when he he could have sent him. He just yeah. didn't seem sharp. Okay, yeah, okay. Exactly. Get, finish your yeah, thought. Think, we'll you know, let think, Paul
3: in. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I, I I want Paul to come in on this because Paul, uh, no doubt, spotted some things about this, but uh, it's interesting. What we're all doing is we're trying to solve the problems that we saw. But it's where we look. So you look to make the Niles to make it another player in there, to make it a crowd scene. I'm looking at the five people up there, and I'm thinking, OK, who had good games? Zaka was decent, right? Martinelli looked bright. Lacazette was yeah OK, but he had a central, pivotal role. Pepe looked quite bright. And the, with one player for me, I felt really to step up and take the the lead mantle from the guy, you know, the what the guy that's producing sixty-four percent of our goals you know, in a when he's not there. We need a collective step up. But I didn't think we got quite enough. But that's just my feeling. Mm. I'd love to know what you guys Pop. think really.
2: Yeah, so like if we think back to Crystal Palace, Ozil played next to Pepe, but the far diagonal, our our passers were Chaka and Luis, and we all concluded there was a total disconnect there. We couldn't get the ball to them. And we had the corrective in this game. Ozo switched to the left wing. If you look at his touch map, it's all along the left side. Mm. And he's paired up with Martinelli. And I think while uh, I'm kind of maybe disagreeing with Clive, but I agree with his overall point, which is if you like the system that we set up with in this game, this, how we played is what you would get. I actually think, Everybody basically played well. Now, I'll qualify that. The player, we all know players who underperformed in this, but not because they played poorly, just because we didn't get enough of what they did well often enough. So Ozil, you know, I went back and looked at Ozil because uh, I was a little underwhelmed, but he did some really good things. As he did in this game, as he did in the last game, him and Lacazette combined for the goal. That's where the goal comes from. Their quick interplay. Uh, kind of up through the middle, uh, makes the goal in both games. The pr- The problem is we don't get enough of that from these guys in this game. On the other hand, you can come up with the excuses for them that is kind of the structure of it, where all the play is around the edges. There's nothing up the middle. In fact, there's nobody in the middle. It's Torreira surrounded, mm. and it's Lacazette with a centre-back on his ass every time he drops deep. So he, he, generally, even when he drops deep to pick up the ball, Uh, it's kind of a hit or miss. He either flicks it to somebody clever or he knocks it back into midfield or the centre-back charges them off off it. So in many ways, we got what we were going to get, which is unsatisfying because you say, well, how do we get better? And I think the answer is we just click better. We move the ball faster. Like our goal doesn't come out of the blue. There is 10 minutes of us doing that exact play up and down the sides in ransom, inventive play, very little in the box, but uh, just really good work around the edges between all of those players. The goal involves every bloody player almost apart from Pepe and Torreira. Torreira, because he, he basically takes himself out of the game for uh, out of the play in the build-up for most of the game. And you can see him, uh, like, we'll probably get into talking about terreira and how he can do more looking forward. And it's certainly true. But 95% of what he's there to do is to direct traffic and direct the ball around himself. And so we got what we got. Everything went up the wings. Yeah. Um, and uh, almost nothing was in the box either was, was the real challenge. And you could see Lacazette. So four players had fewer touches than Lacazette. Everybody else had more touches than Lacazette, the striker. And you look at the goal and you see Martinelli getting in there and you say, well, Aubameyang probably would have made that run for the into the six-yard box. The one player who is never going to score that goal uh, based on how we asked him to play yesterday was Lacazette. Um, he creates the goal uh, along with Ozil, but he's never going to score it. He's, he's just about jogging into the box by the time the ball comes in. Um, and so... We get what we get, so we'll,
3: we'll, I'm not know. sort of I'm not sort of judging Lacazette, Paul, on um, on execution and goals at the moment because um, he's obviously playing a, a pivotal role in our build up and he's got to be central. Yeah. He's got to work back. I suppose I'm 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 looking at Martinelli, who probably basically played the Abamang role in this game. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Erza was much more left, than he has been in recent games, and he's probably. To to help the kid, right? To help him get yeah. close and create some connection. So he was moving around a little bit more. My my feeling is and I just judge people based on their stature, their their you know, their historical credibility, etc. And I always look I always judge people in adversity and I'm looking at you know, that front five per se, and I think a couple of them are just a little bit under it in Lacazette and I'd like to see a little bit more from the guy that gets the eighteen million quid under his mattress, right? That's yeah. what I'd like to see. I don't. It's not about killing the guy. I just think you know, there's lots of statistics running around but, today. So about, my about question,
2: that. Clive, is do you think the solution, though, is just it clicking a little better? If we're playing this rough system more often, I mean, you kind of said you, you want a bit more from Ozil, you want a bit more from Lacazette, and that's what I saw in the game. I, I think mm. they all did a lot of good things. We just needed... Yeah.
1: Well, well, can, can I make a point about Lacazette, more. too? Look, he had no shots. The only shot he had in the game was the free kick he took right before he came off, which he should have left to Pepe anyway. But, but I mean, if Martinelli steers in that goal on the counterattack I mentioned, that Pepe crosses to him, and the goal yep. that we did score, Lacazette would have two critical involvements in goal-scoring moves, and if we had gotten the penalty and he takes it, he'd have a goal and two, you know, sort of pre-assists, and we'd be saying, oh, he played the Firmino role brilliantly. Now, look, I don't think he played the Firmino role brilliantly. And
2: remember the Lacazette ball up to Pepe early in the first half that puts Pepe through. That's what I said, to cross
1: like, to Martinelli that he doesn't put away. Right, yeah, that, yeah, right. He would have had two goal involvements. and But, but my point is simply that, like, I think there is a question, which is, are we asking Lacazette to be a player he's never really been? Like, Robin Van Persie, you know, curse his name, was like the dream false nine in a way. He could drop in and and conduct play and be part of link up and still find a way to get on the end of the move and, and finish with a left foot that was touched by God. But like, I don't know that that's Lacazette. Lacazette is a penalty box finisher. He's a guy who has always outperformed his XG. He's not a particularly high shot guy, but he finishes above expected goals. By the way, this season, still finishing above expected goals. He just doesn't have a lot of them. He, you know, He's just not shooting enough. And I do wonder if asking him to drop in and press off the ball and be a link-up player is just a little anathema to how he is as a striker. And so we're getting the link-up play, maybe not brilliantly, but certainly pretty good. But what we're losing is... Is that this is a player who really does need to be in the box to to score goals and he's not and he's not really understanding how to get there? So I just I you wonder got if one it's... one
2: touch in the box he, to yeah, your point, one right? Tu- one
1: he, touch in the box and no shots except from the free kick. So is it just a case that this role that he's trying to play is an uncomfortable fit for the kind of goal scoring striker that he is?
3: I, I, can I, I think um, I've always had a different view of Lacazette than maybe some people, and maybe because. The first time I ever saw him play, he played as a nine and a half, ten. It was it was at the Emirates for Leon, and I watched him. I thought, "You're not number nine I saw on YouTube, you're not someone running the channels. You're not really doing that. You are you are doing that Firmino type role, and I've always thought of him as a great partner in a two or a tight three. I've never really seen him as a single point up top on his own, because I don't think he's leggy enough. I don't think he's strong enough. I don't think he's tall enough. I don't think he backs up people like Drew did, although Drew couldn't run over the top. I don't think he can run channels like Abamian can. I don't think he's got the physical size and the big distances. But you play him in that connection role, I think he does it really quite well. My problem is, is we need more. Well, we need we goals. We need more. We He's need, got a teenager
1: we, we, to the left of him and a, a newly integrated 22-year-old to the right of him and a teenage fullback on one side who's a... You, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, we've got a number 10 who who's allergic to shooting, as you've always said. So we we need someone we need else more, scoring. We, we
3: need more aggressiveness. We need more <laughs> devastation and more cutting edge. And we need more running off the, off the sides to unsettle a, a Sheffield United defence, which is a very good defence, by the way. And when they felt comfortable, they just stood there, pressed up. And, um, of course, when we got back three in front of you, where's the space? It's down the sides, right? You want to make that back three or back five. So you really focus on the sides to push them back. And Arsenal focused on that. And and they got some success and some control until they went to a full dive in the second half. And then they blocked off the middle and took a defender out because they realised they were losing it in the middle of the pitch, losing it up top. And then they 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 put numbers in the areas they wanted to do to get the ball into, and went from there. So what do you know? For me, do we get that we just more? Got,
2: Clive by automatisms or a tweak to the system or players just trying
3: harder? Because I don't problem I, problem solving, uh, yeah, tactical problem solving. I've I've all you've always hear me talk about this. Have we got the players that can solve it? Or do we have to change the players?
1: If, if that was Ramsey playing 10 instead of Ozil, and there was a guy running into the box making a second-man run, and Lacazette could exchange passes with him plus the two wide forwards running the channels, I, I just think we do not have the running into the box from midfield, the goals from midfield. I, I mean, I'm not killing Ozil, but there needs to be a late runner, a second runner, someone who clears yep. space for Lacazette after he's given the ball.
2: And no we've idea. chosen to put that player nominally at left back. I mean, that's that's the second midfielder unless you're going to add a third midfielder.
3: You know what, that, that In this system, just what we're doing now, right now, in Ozil, normally, maybe not so much in this game, but normally in that right half space. Yeah, it right? was
1: left half space this game, but same difference.
3: Yeah, but you, you know where I'm going, did not yep. you? Right? So, and I've never thought Ramsey was a 10. I always thought he was a, a, a maybe a third midfielder. But... Can you imagine him in that right half space now, doing that Özil role? Yeah, devastating. In that highly active, breaking, disrupting, not worrying because he's got people behind him. He hasn't got to look at. He's not in a part of a midfield two, and he's not really a stick on number ten because he's got a Bamirang to the to one side, and he's allowed to see it and see it and break into the box. But also, we don't mind if you press a bit, Aaron. Do you see what I mean? I mean, That's this role is like we
2: look, when earthy. you look at our squad.
1: It, what, what about Martinelli? What about someone who just likes to run beyond and get in the box and likes central spaces and is active and doesn't mind a tackle and doesn't mind yeah. running around and using up it's energy? Coming.
3: It's coming. It's coming, I'll tell you, because I don't think we're unable to solve or create enough problems at this current. This is one game we're talking about, right? But we're not getting enough activity. We need to play at a higher click. We're not getting enough activity from certain people, right? And, and I think is that. Is that the position, though?
1: You know, we, we've all, everybody has the Goldilocks position they want to fix. Uh, Shaq's position, if that was a more athletic runner, or is not progressive enough, or, you know, if we had goals from the left side, or if we had the right, you know, this, that. Is the position that player who operates between the lines, who can run into the box and score goals, but get back and collect the ball and carry, Is is it... You know, because Ozil. Let's, for, let's not forget something. Ozil creates the goal against Palace with it. I mean, he doesn't. He's not the assist. Lacazette is the assist, but he helps create it. Ozil yeah. very importantly helps create the goal against Sheffield. So he's yeah. still involved in those goal scoring moments. Um, yeah. But but is it just a case that, as you said, the energy, the running, the goal threat needs to be more if we're going to keep our right back from overlapping? If we're going to be more structured? If we're going to drop Shaq in? You know, is is that the position? Where, whether it's Sabios and I'm skeptical of it being Ceballos, whether it's taking a forward like a like a Martinelli and and moving him into a central sort of you know second support striker type role is that the position that unlocks the attack
3: I think we can get more from that role Why well, I, well, I do recognize your point about Azos's contribution he, when you look at the highlights, he's still there, right? He's still there at the crucial moments with the right way of pass, et cetera. So I'd, I'd say this with, with some reservation, but I also say he's looking at Arsenal and saying, hold on, we d- we do need to stop talking about this question, the Mesut Ozil question at some point. And we do need to evolve away at some point because for me, we're not getting the productivity that we need. It's, it's not a critique, it's just that we need more. We're not scoring enough goals. We're drawing too many games. We're not producing. So When you're not producing, you have to look at those people that are that are paid to produce. And the statistics around this area, I've always felt our issue this season has been in our upper third. Uh, okay, the highlights and the trauma is in our is in our back door, but actually that was quite what what Arteta's done. Has made us all feel better about that, even with the current player, Which I mm-hmm. never it's thought amazing, he could isn't do. It? Yep, I never yep. thought he could do that. I thought he was done. In fact, I quoted the word "uncoachable." Some of these people, mm-hmm. Mustafi, and, uh,
2: good God, had a good game.
1: Yeah, he, had old, he only had two game. Mustafis in the whole game.
3: I mean, he's incredible. What he's done there, let's give him, let's give him a round of applause there. But of course, now we're looking at the areas of the pitch where you need separation, devastation, calmness, confidence. And that's a little bit more intangible. That's a little bit harder to... That needs to come from the individual character. And now we're starting to see, for me, the lack of technical security and devastation and how reliant we are on the one guy that's got a lot of that.
1: Yeah, and by the way, look, I'm not going to kill Lacazette, who is doing a job that is important and doing parts of it pretty well. I do think we're all trying to (coughs) magic, fabricate a a solution for more goal scoring threat. And I think a lot of our answers are right, but I do think we should point out, you know, we talk about it being the Firmino role, but like, let's remember with Firmino, like he had three shots against United. He had four shots against Tottenham. He had five shots against Liverpool. He had three shots against Wolves. He had a uh, God, what was it? Um, I had it up here for a second. Hang on. He had three shots against Leicester and, you know, all from open play, And Lacazette had zero shots in this game until the free kick right before he's taken off. So, And again, that's not to kill him. It's just to say you can try to magic your way to extra goal scoring and extra chances. But ultimately, your number nine, even if he's playing the quote Firmino role, well, Firmino's playing the Firmino role and he's shooting three, four, five, six times a game. um, And and we do need a little more from our number nine there. Paul, here's the problem. We're trying to solve problems. I want to make a point. Um, We were good in this game. Like this yeah. is the thing. After 15 minutes and until the 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 end of the game, and the one thing I will say we've been poor at under Arteta, and it was something we were poor at under Emery, and it will have to get fixed is chasing games late when we're you know e- either even or losing. I don't think we're good. Uh, I thought we're you know we obviously were bad about bad against Chelsea about that, and I thought we were poor in this game trying to chase the game late. But in between, you know, from 15 minutes to call it 70. They created almost nothing. We were pushing them back. Remember, in this game, we had double the penalty box passes that they did and almost double the final third passes. We controlled the territory. We controlled possession. These are things we weren't doing, and I thought we did it well. We just didn't have the threat. But I want to focus on two really positive performances that I think deserve to be highlighted uh, amidst all of this question of solving problems. So let's first talk about Pepe. You know, look. I do not want to relitigate the tedious, tiresome question of if he's not good on the training ground and if he's not a good teammate, should he play? Because you know where I stand on that. I think he should fucking play. He's a great player. He should play. Um, I think there is so much more to come from him. I, I still believe in his stardom and his stardom for us, and I believe in it happening. And in this game, gosh, there were so many nearly moments. There was that run in behind you mentioned where he crosses it to Martinelli. It's a great cross. It's a great run. There is the slip-through ball for Martinelli, where he does everything on his own, right? He he collects the ball.
2: That's after a great dribble, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: it? it's a great dribble. He collects the ball deeper, beats two men, runs towards the penalty area, and then just a lovely little slip ball for Martinelli, who, by the way, makes an electrifying run. The, the run you'd almost expect Lacazette to make, but Martinelli makes it all the way from left to right and just uh, fires it past the right post. And then, of course, there's the penalty incident as well, where, okay, maybe he could release it earlier in that move, but it's still a freaking penalty. Um, do you want to maybe... Talk first yeah. about Pepe and and his growing influence and the the extent to which you know he really he really is starting to make the difference.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, against Palace, we pushed in the chips on his side by putting Ozil over there, um, but he didn't have the overlapping fullback support. In this game, he doesn't have it either. Uh, Maitland Niles makes quite a few passes and fairly high up the pitch, but he's not he's supporting. He's behind Pepe. So basically our bet in this game is Pepe's is going to have to do it on his own uh, with a little support from Lacazette because Terreira is not looking to pass through the midfield. So he's basically on his own with a little support from Mustafi and Maitland-Niles getting him the ball. But he's from there on, he's going to have to do it himself. Uh, we We place the bet in this game on the other wing. We're pushing... We're giving Chaka, I mean, Chaka disappeared against Palace, but in this game, we really set him up to play the ball up the wing to Saka, to Martinelli, with Ozil on that side. And so it, it, it seems ungrateful when we turn around and hit Pepe too hard. I don't know too much more he could have done in this game where he's at without becoming totally disconnected from the play. He's having to drive from deeper to get into the box. I think he's good. I I went and had another look at him. I think he had a good game. We just, I think across the pitch, I think Lacazette had a good game. He just needed to do a hell of a lot more of it. And that's why I kind of come back to, well, what saves us then? Would it be automatisms, the synchronicity, the play clicking, some tweaks here and there? Because I think you could go man by man and say, was nothing wrong with the content there just wasn't enough of it there wasn't enough from Pepe there wasn't enough from Lacazette Uh, I agree with both of you on the Firmino thing with Lacazette um I think Clive has Lacazette down absolutely spot on in terms of the type of play he is and I think you're right The, the thing people miss with Firmino is just the volume the volume and the activity and I think Martinelli is the closest thing we have to a Firmino just because of how much bloody work he does and his ability to run at players and to cause havoc. But we kind of already have given him a job. Just like Saka could do two great jobs for us. Martinelli could do a couple of great jobs for us, but they got a job over on that wing. And so I think it's ungrateful. Uh, I think Pepe is starting to come into his own. I really like what he's doing. I think his shots these days may be few, but they're always quality. Um, if Martinelli doesn't put that ball away, it's probably going to be Pepe because if you look at where he is um, and I think, uh, yeah, so that's that's what I'd say mm. on the Pepe situation. Ga- y- you know, this is a small sample something. size, but on this game, I think everything he did, he did pretty well. He just didn't get enough looks at it.
1: The one thing that keeps popping up when Giant Gunnar does his um, stats reviews in Discord is how direct he is. And we yeah. have a lack of directness in our team, how progressive he is. Just when he gets the ball, he goes forward, either with a pass or at his feet. And he's constantly trying to do dangerous things around the box. And I mean, that means a lot of stuff isn't going to come off. But you need a player who does that. Let me ask you something, Paul, with Pepe. Right now, it seems pretty clear to me. I don't think Arteta trusts Pepe to cover Maitland-Isles defensively. And I think he knows he's got Socrates over there, or in this case, Mustafi, instead of Luis. And, and so he has look opted... At the
2: defensive work in this game... Martinelli totally outperforms him defensively. Right, so what I'm
1: saying is, I think he has opted to not let Maitland-Niles overlap because he Mm -hmm. doesn't trust that side of us defensively to be solid, and he's letting Saka overlap, or Kolasinac, because he trusts Louise more, he trusts, whether it's Aubameyang, or in this case Martinelli, to cover back more. So he's made the decision, because I can't trust Pepe to cover back, I'm not going to let Maitland-Niles overlap. Let me ask you this. If he has to keep someone back, would you be comfortable since we need to try to unlock the attack more, having a game where he lets Maitland Niles overlap more to pull a defender away because I think if Pepe gets into situations where he's not covered by two, where they can't double him up, where he does have an overlapping fullback, I think he could go bananas. Like I just I I think it's in him to have an insane kind of game if he wasn't facing those those two markers every game.
2: Sure, and that in a way that was the Crystal Palace game. It just didn't come off. Um Well they, he, over, they we overloaded had, that side. I mean they shut everything down on that side. That whole game. That's true. Look at what, what they did. Old, they but, they left Obama yeah. Yang
1: in acres
2: of space on the left. They did, and Louise kept hit, hitting him or trying to. So, yeah, we, he almost got what he was looking for against Palace. He had Ozil on that say, side, but we had Maitland-Niles held back. Yes. Um, and, and that's the trade-off. So in this game, we said, okay, Martinelli and Saka can get forward, and it kind of worked. Uh, it worked, uh, but didn't solve all our problems is the problem. And we said, Pepe, do your thing. Uh, so, yeah, We could switch it around, but it means the other side not so much. And maybe that's, you know, if we had Nelson ready to start, I think that's what we might have done in this game. We might have had Nelson be more of the system play, more of the connector. Um, But that requires Saka to be more of a full back. Um, and and, And that pushes him back into Chaka's area. Which was, you know, Ch- Chaka didn't see the ball against Crystal Palace. So now you're beginning to infringe on a number of players around the way. You're pushing Maitland Niles up, where he's been very secure and he's been our third midfielder. So it seems like we've mostly made our bet on the system, which is we're going to swirl everybody around one spot up the left wing. And that has knock on effects. And we've, we've, We've placed our bets on which side it's going to be, so I think it may have to be Pepe for mm. a while, doing it for himself. Yeah, and, and sisters I, are doing it for themselves.
1: That's what I was just going to say. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do think that's a penalty, first of all.
2: Um, oh yeah. And, oh yeah. And, it, it's very interesting on the breakdown. Did you? Did you um, Adrian Clark talks about it, and then in the l- live game, he doesn't think it's a penalty. And I think he has the right logic for why those people who don't think it's a penalty, football people who didn't think it was a penalty, don't think it's a penalty. It's because he's not going to get the ball. The ball goes to the yeah, defender. But not I think the that's rule. bullshit. That's not the rule. That's not the rule. Can I punch you gets, in
1: the face if the ball's away? I mean, can I kick you in the? Plus, air? Like, he
2: gets to close down the guy and go for the second ball. But yes, good But point. I get I get the football logic. Hey, you don't give penalties when the ball's going away from the guy and it was going to run out of play or the defender, but it's wrong. It's, it's not the rule. I mean, totally you know wrong. what that's
1: like? It's like not giving a penalty because the guy's you know back is to goal and he's going away from goal and he's at the very edge of the box and it's a little kick. It's still a penalty. Like, Do I, I think it's harsh? I it's wrong. You, see, here's the thing. There are certain rules that are harsh, but they are still the rules, right? Um, we have clearly made a decision in football now that if a ball hits a hand, it's a penalty, even if there is no intent. Because that's just how it's changed. I feel that's harsh. But it is the rule. And you have to apply it consistently. And I think the thing that really fucking pisses me off is... Pardon my language. Uh, Mike Dean loves giving penalties. Loves it. Uh, if you like statistics on penalties awarded, 7am kickoff on Twitter has some really good ones about the paucity with which Mike Dean awards them to Arsenal. Five in 20 years. Three times fewer. A rate three times fewer than any of the top six sides. For a guy who loves to give penalties. But... Even putting that aside, what really aggravates me is the idea that it's not even a close enough call to have him go to the monitor and look at it, that it is that cut and dried. That it's not even close. Because remember, the new rule now is if it's close, the referee on the pitch goes to the monitor and looks at it. So you're going to tell me that not only is it not a penalty, but the guy flicking his leg out and kicking Pepe's knee away is not even close enough to being a penalty to get Mike Dean to look at it. I think it is absurd. And I think this is what frustrates me. Football is about moments. We we lead this ridiculous table of un you know unfortunate events or whatever you want to call it on the bad luck table. Fine, whatever. You know, that that can happen, I guess. But I thought that we played well for a huge chunk of this game. I thought that this was an encouraging performance for large stretches, including shutting them down and preventing them from creating much and getting into some good positions, absent our best goal scorer, with kids all over the pitch. And I do think that it was a, a performance that, that earned a win, that deserved a win. And I realize that's not how football works, but you're going to have people say, oh, we can't even be the newly promoted side at home, despite all the other things that were good about this and how good Sheffield have been and all of those things because we don't get a penalty that's a penalty. Now, let's say we do get the penalty and we score it, which I think between Lacazette and Pepe is you know, as close to a certainty as you get. And now it's 2-0, and we go ahead and we win that game. I just think that the the analysis of that is so much different. And especially, this is what's crazy. Do you know how many teams got max points in the top 11 this week? Two. Wolves and Liverpool. The only teams in the top 11 to take max points. We would have literally gained ground on nine of the top 11 teams. Well, you can't gain ground on yourself. So eight of the top 11 teams. So I just think that all of the analysis of this game, of where we are, of the process, of what's happening, is... Is undone in some ways by a blatant call not being given. I know what you could say: go out and win the game. You don't. You don't get an excuse to not win the game because of the referee. But when you're a struggling team and you're a flawed team and you're trying to get better, and the big moment in the game is is taken from you, I I just think that that impacts the entire analysis. And there was just too much good in this game to say, oh, we didn't beat a pr- newly promoted side, so it was bad. Uh, en- enough soapbox for me, Clive. We got to zero in on another performance, and that is the I'll goal. Just say one thing, uh, on the yeah, yes, oh of course, really please
3: i I tell, you, I tell you probably why it wasn't given. Um, referees don't like to see two feet come off the air. When they see, yeah, he when they see two his, yeah, feet he flick his. out the back, they see that as a dive. So I asked referees about this because I've mm-hmm. obviously managed a few games of football myself. And I asked them how they arrived at these decisions, and they look for that. When they see both feet come up at the same time, they say... That always says it's a dive today. Yeah, he
1: exaggerates the contact and goes down, just like Harry now, Kane. Harry Kane's made a career
3: out of that, <laughs> and quite similar to what Zaha did against Shaka, uh, Shaka um, against Palace last season. Mm-hmm. He did the he, and we sort of praised him for suckering Shaka into it. Is that what I mean? And it's exactly what Pepe did, mm-hmm. and but Mike Dean decided that I didn't like how you fell down, mate, and you're not going to con me. And by the way, Va... The same referees in the room with the same values, they gave it five seconds and moved on. I do feel sometimes those skillful types suffer for the Anglo-Saxon tacklers with their big lumpy legs. They suffer for the the inherent mentality and bias of people not really protecting those style of players. The way Pepe has
1: been treated by the referees in England is shameful. It is shameful. He's, ta- shame he's, he's he's her. taking scissor tackles. He's getting kicked at, and because he's tricky, and because he can elude you, and because he's a good dribbler, you know what it is. There's a tax on him. You're elusive, yep. so we're going to let them have an extra little kick on you to to kind of level the playing ground. It is shameful.
3: It's just uh, it's an unconscious bias that um, a lot of British refs have when they see someone who's a bit tricky. Go on, son, get up, get up. You can you can have another go at him. It's like it's a bit like that. They don't look to praise or protect those players. It's not just um, it's not just um, Pepe. It's the mm-hmm. same for Zaha Palace. He suffers from this a lot as well. He provokes mm-hmm. challenges and he doesn't always get the calls that he does. But to be fair, Palaces are getting quite a few penalties now. If mm-hmm. you look at them historically, so it's something we have to overcome. It's something we have to highlight. The management need to say something about it. Talk about protection and eventually. After he's done a year or so of apprenticeship with a decent player, he might start getting a few calls.
1: Yeah. Well, all right. So can we have a little fun, though, and zero in on the golden god himself, Gabriel Martinelli? When you are 18 mm-hmm. and you're scoring goals in the Premier League and you're getting .89 expected goals in a Premier League game, which is you know basically what these super elite players get, when you are making the kinds of runs that Aubameyang has made his career on, when you are... You know, admittedly, he had two chances he didn't finish in this game, which is a shame. But when you are showing that kind of versatility, that understanding of movement, when you are that threatening and that dangerous at 18, I think there's only one trajectory for that kind of player, and that is superstardom. I am, I, I got to admit, I I think, <laughs> Gan, I, I think uh, that Gendouzi will will be a star, and I think he is a star, and I think it'd be great. But Martinelli has overtaken him for me in terms of the hype train. You know, you look at Spurs, their golden generation, which I think it's important to emphasize they won nothing whatsoever, but a generation that was good for them anyway, is all built around basically discovering someone in their academy in Kane who becomes a leading goal scorer in the Premier League. The value of finding an attacking player of elite caliber... For cheap or near academy cannot be overstated, and I really think that we have that in Martinelli. So I'm curious to get your analysis of his performance in this game, and whether you agree with me that he is sort of a, a messy Ronaldo hybrid who will just be slightly better than the two of them.
3: Um, <laughs> yeah, I think um, <laughs> whenever I whenever I watch a game, I look. I have something called my hope index in my mind about our forward players and almost within two minutes you're thinking, okay, how are we going to score today? <laughs> how are we going to score? And your eyes just go to this kid, right? So why is it? Because he looks like he's got, he walks onto the pitch with a purpose to say, I'm playing today, I'm starting, and at the end of this game, you're going to know something about me. He basically does not let a minute pass him by without trying to impact. I mean, his mentality... He's an example. I mean, his mentality is amazing. To do what he's done. He's 18. Come over to his country. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's, I look at him, I just look at how he just manages certain instances and decisions. They don't all come off. But you know what? No one cares because his intention to do it and then come back again to find a solution, to beat your man, to shake people that you've got no right to shake to find speed when you've got no right to find it, to find passing lanes in a crowded penalty box, to know when the ball's coming. I mean, this stuff normally comes with years and years of experience, and he's just doing it. Just like every I, – I find it incredible. And once he's settled down, we don't know how tall he's going to be yet. His bodies might not be settled down. He's going to get faster. He's only 18. He's just, growing, he's just growing into himself. He's got
1: nine goals. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he's got nine I goals. Mean,
3: some, it's 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 quite interesting to see where he goes and how he's used um, you're looking at him and eventually he's, knock, he's knocking that door so hard now for the first 11 he's knocking it really hard so we all sort of got our first 11-ish in our minds you know, in the current state of health and fitness and you're looking at it and you're thinking okay you're going to take someone out which, which one is it? is it Ozil? is it Pepe? is it Lacazette? Because right now this kid is knocking your door down. He wants to take your, he wants to take your bonus money out of your pocket. Which one of you is gonna, is going make way for him? Because he is not gonna be behind them for much longer on this current trajectory.
1: Mm, I, I gotta tell you, like, there's so many things I love about what he does. I think the way he strikes the ball is confident and clean. Even though he did have a couple of misses in this game, you know. Think about Joe Willick. Think about Nelson to some extent. The one thing that I would say, even Maitland Niles. That has been the case with some of our Academy players is when they make a mistake, they really do drop their head. You see the impact. I think about Alex Awobi when he would shoot and miss. God, it looked like the weight of the world was on his shoulders. So what happens early in this game? Lacazette sends Pepe through. Pepe crosses it. Martinelli's racing in from the left through the channel, hits it wide. What does he do? He claps Pepe for the good, for the good service and gets back at it. And he just seems undaunted. And, I, you know, he, he looks the part, he looks like he is ready psychologically to be playing at this level, which is massively important. And I think Tim made a really good point in our back channel just about how Martinelli is unique because he had a team of people around him, including his father and his family and his handlers and all this thing, sort of trying to build the perfect professional footballer, preparing him for this all the way. And so he was, he's sort of been constructed to be able to handle this. There's a run he makes in the 72nd minute, if you want to go back and watch. I guess technically it's the 73rd minute, but it's 72 minutes on the clock. And he makes this dashing, darting run from the right wing all the way through the center of the pitch into the center of the box to, to be available for Pepe. And unfortunately, he's not given the ball. But it just, it it drags every defender out. It plays him fully onside. I mean, just, he has such a preternatural understanding of of where to be to be in dangerous positions. It's, it is a skill, that I think, if Aubameyang has taught us anything, it is that that is a skill. Maybe it's something we didn't appreciate as much until he got to the club, but I think we appreciate it now that that, that kind of movement and availability is a skill. And and Paul, I don't want to freeze you out of a, a discussion about someone so exciting. So, I mean, for you, how do we nurture the, this guy? I mean, in a way, you know, the, the if I had to help myself sleep at night with Aubameyang maybe leaving in the summer, it's the idea that 15 starts at center forward for Martinelli next season in the league would be fun for me to watch. I mean, what, what is the right path for this player to, to continue to grow into our team?
2: Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, I think Saka and Martinelli along that side are developing a really good partnership. Um, and those guys getting, and we saw with Tierney and Martinelli as well. Uh, we saw with Ozil in this game, Ozil, um, despite doing a few really good things, almost did a couple of other really good things. There were a couple of passes that were just past the toes of, or just off from Martinelli, where just in this game he could have had a, another excellent chance or two. Um, so he's right there. I really think he's on the bubble right there, uh, where uh, um, I'd be concerned about us overplaying him were he not this good, were he not <laughs> yeah. this... Consistent, and, and he didn't have a perfect game as well. I mean, he had a, a game that's kind of burned into our memory, and yet, um, you know, he, he was still kind of rough with some of his play and his passing. I don't so, think his he's a great upside. Passer, I think he's a striker? No. I don't
1: think he's. I don't think he's a great passer,
2: and that can improve. Well, perhaps. I don't. I so I don't think he's a great passer. I think he's decent, and I but I still think he's quite individualistic in terms of how he plays. Hmm. Um. And he hasn't really become systemized. That's why I think uh, there's a lean towards Nelson when he's fully fit to play over on that side. Because he's, you know, he's totally hive mind tuned into the overall system. And Martinelli's still trying to find that balance between doing what we love him to do, which is to go straight at it, to get into the six yard box, to be the guy who gets on the end of the ball, to be the guy hungriest to get a goal. Um, And making those adjustments to being in the system. So I think we should play the heck out of him up to a point um, and kind of uh, cool his jets from time to time because you still got to get the balance right between what role will he play. I've always thought from, I think, uh, mid-preseason that he showed what what we need for a striker. So he definitely has that, and I think he has a lot of what Firmino brings and maybe more goals, more finishing in him than Fir- Firmino tends to have. Um, I, c- I would so, even give him a
1: run at, at Ozil's position for 10, 15 minutes here or there in a game if we had to. I'd be fine letting him ghost into the box as a second man. Yeah. man
2: you know. there's, there's not too much across the front I wouldn't let him do. We've seen him play on both sides. I mean, he's just superb. I mean, it, you know... Pepe, you've a big decision. Do you want to play him right or left? And and we haven't proven anything about him being a striker. Some people suspect he might be. Aubameyang's okay from the left, uh, great through the center. Uh, Lacazette could maybe do a bit of a job on the wing, but Martinelli can do, uh, in my mind, equally good job from any side. It's just what do you want out of him? And as you said, he can probably do a hell a heck of a Ramsey type. Uh, attacking midfielder. Um, there's there's four players he can play for you, four positions he can play for you, um, and he hasn't really learned the system yet. He ju- he's just a force of nature. His physicality, his energy. Um, uh, oh, and that's, uh, by the way, ignoring the fact that he'll be the guy who gets back and covers the, the full back. So the, um, the sky's the limit for him. And then just, you know Saka is on that side and when you look at the the TAA and the Robertson comparisons if we have a full back that can do that it's yeah it's Tierney but it's Saka too the crosses he puts in um he had a bad game a, a couple of games ago where he fluffed a few crosses yeah. from in the first half and it was almost like people were writing off his distribution but you see Saka pushing up and and uh, Martinelli Martin deciding he'll be the center forward. Very clear decision, not even close. He goes right into the center of the pitch at the six yard box. So it's a very interesting dynamic between those guys. I, I just
1: I'm so excited to see a player like that. Uh, and and by the way, that's not to diminish the excitement about players like Saka or Nelson, um, who who I think you know have potentially bright futures. I just I think, you know, the one thing that you have to look at is Teenage players that score goals, score goals in the league, score goals in Europe, there aren't a lot of them. And when they do, it tends to be a really strong predictor of future success. And he's got nine in all competitions. And admittedly, you know, a couple of those have come in bunches against weaker teams. But, like, weaker teams in Europe are still, that's still a pretty good standard, all things considered. So, very exciting. A couple of bones to pick out of this game, Clive. Um, be- before we get to the substitutions, and and in particular the Nelson, uh, par- pardon me, the Enkedia substitution, just one last thing on Pepe that I don't think we discuss enough. If there's an area that Liverpool have proven themselves to be light years ahead of other teams, it's set piece design and set piece um success. They've hired coaches for that, they've focused on it, and they're great at it. Pepe's corner kicks are gonna be worth a few goals every season. They're just the, the delivery is phenomenal. And you know that near post near post flick routine has has come off a couple of times in the last few weeks. I wonder are are we maybe underrating the because we've not been a team that focused on set pieces for for a long long time. Are we underrating the value of Pepe not just doing the things he does, but of having a player who can provide set piece delivery that every three games or so is going to lead to a goal?
3: Yeah, I think the real Pepe will will come out when will moves on. I think he's got the ability to beat people, run away from people, create, have creative passing, and he wants to shoot. We're not seeing all of him because for me, he's too close to the touchline. Do,
1: do you not? So, I mean, do, do, but I mean, just specific to, to the corners, though, I mean, just real quick, sorry to interrupt. I mean, do you, is that some one of those things that you, you just sort, oh, sort of think is ancillary to the whole thing, or is it, or is it significant? Well,
3: I think it's he's already taken our set pieces now when Earl was on the pitch, isn't he? Primarily. That tells and, you and that he's everyone. doing it brilliantly. Yeah, Grant tells you he's number one. He's already got that role, and I think it's um it's a massive addition to what he actually is. I'll, I'm interested to see. I thought he looked quicker in this game. I thought he looked much quicker. And um,
1: still fades around good. the hour or seventy minute mark. But, still you know.
3: fades. He tells you he's still building up. He's still building up to this to this league. We're not going to see the best of him until next season. But I'm incredibly excited about him as as a player. I I think he's going to be very very special. How we surround him and how we how uh, to take Paul's words and systemise him. That yeah, is I a like great that. word. Yeah, <laughs> really great word. <laughs> How we systemize him is gonna be very yeah. important. I, I, we all, we've all got an inkling what he might end up be, being but I think, yeah, this boy is our future. We just gotta we gotta hold on, be patient, because you... some of the things he does are unique, absolutely football unique, the way he beats yeah. people, the way he sets people, when he freezes people. It's unique. You no, know, it really well, is. And so I'm really hopeful we can get more shots out of him because he will shoot yeah. unlike our current number ten.
1: Well and look, I mean there there are only so many goals in any game. And if you've got a guy who has set piece delivery that once every three games, once every four games gets you a goal, I mean that's just I mean, that's incredibly important. You know, I, I saw people sort of dismissing his his stats before he came over because of the the number of penalties he scored. But like getting penalties and scoring them is really important and i mean you could even see it right he should have won this game for us with a penalty he created with his own individual brilliance it just wasn't given that's a steal. So in his that fa- matters
2: in his last season in in liga mm-hmm. he scored 11 penalties but he made seven of them yeah
1: exactly that's seven seven assists essentially right uh, yep. on, on 11 of his goals scored so really important okay clive let me stay with you just for a second i think you know, look, I, I am not a believer that a coach has to use all three substitutions every game. And candidly, before they scored what I think is a somewhat fluky goal. I mean, it's it's a long ball where the second ball falls really lucky to them. I think we're a little unfortunate with the way uh, Maitland-Niles presses up and, and, and leaps for the ball and the second ball falls in behind him and then it's hit perfectly on the volley with just the right little deflection to fly in, as Arteta said, top bins, which I loved. Um, not that it happened that he... Referred to it that way. So I think we're a little unlucky. If that doesn't happen, you know, I think you look at the decision by Arteta not overchange the game and say, you know, we were in control and he was managing to the fact that we were in control. I don't think you have to use every sub. But as much as Lacazette wasn't giving us, I think Nketiah for Lacazette maybe just helped us lose control a little bit of the game. I'm curious how you felt about Enkedia coming on and, and you know, certainly... He had a few nearly moments where the ball got under his feet. He he may have been able to run him behind. Were you happy to see him get on and, and back in the team? Do you think that change maybe took a little control away from us? What was your takeaway from how he how he managed the end of the game?
3: Yeah, I, I was happy to see him come on. And the reason why, I mean, is because we can't afford to go to um, Chelsea without Lacazette and the Ababian. And so what, what Arteta decided was I, I need to share the game and make sure that Lacazette doesn't get injured and and Eddie coming on adding energy late in the game when Lacazette normally fades no drama for me whatsoever and um, do that I think the one that I think maybe was a little bit late I I saw all fading and I just think we needed to um, create a different problem and I think there was um, some substitute discussions about Willock or or Doozy to come on there and I I don't want to we're we're just learning about Arteta when it comes to substitution, so I don't want to critique him too much because I haven't been in the ground yet. when seeing him close up and see what he's like. And um, but I felt we needed some activity and just some personality increase just to carry the team on. And finally, I am interested in seeing Gwen Doozy come on with less structure. There's only one player to come on in in this system. He just come up slightly higher up and just. Be yourself. Just no structure. Get around. Get on the ball. Have touches. Create them problem. Be a distraction. Be a disruptor. He's probably the cl- he's the closest to Ramsey in the unstructured way he plays. Mm. Even though he's got nothing around the box, you know, in the, in the same, in the mm. same scenario as, as Ramsey did towards later end of his career, and he hasn't got that instinct for goal. He's not a great shooter, but he has got an instinct for disruption and I and I and personality and I. I want to see that come on the pitch a little bit more, particularly when we lose the personality of Aubameyang. We need that on the pitch. We don't need a deference we have sometimes some of our players mm-hmm. and the lack of physicality and speed. So it's just one of those things, right? I think what we're seeing, I think we're, we're talking about this game and we're, we're critiquing it slightly, but we we're, we're not really saying anyone played bad. But what we are maybe seeing, which is probably a little bit scary is that potentially we're starting to see the limits of some of the players that we're questioning and it's not that they played bad they played as well as they could on the day mm. and if we're talking about limits now we're talking about exactly what I, you know I, I, what I think this period is this is about transparency of where we actually are We couldn't overcome a very good Sheffield United team, we could have beaten them twice if Pepe scored the open goal in the away game and if we got the penalty in this game. So we're we're not saying that we're a mile away, but actually we had some limits that occurred here through injury, suspension and maybe a lack of quality and separation and speed and constant physicality and technical security. That's just the limit to this team. Mm. I think it's a very important period that we, we're looking at, and we say, "Well, you know what, Mustafi, did okay, but it's Mustafi." Do you see know what I
1: mean?
3: Yeah. And we, and it's like that's it. There's no more. There's no more there. There's no more juice in that orange. And we come into this realization around the squad quality I, because I think now he's we, a lemon, actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> now we can. Because you called it. You told me this, and you were absolutely right in hindsight. I think we can get more from this team. You know, Arteta's set it up in a way quicker than we even imagine to get more from this group. And now we're gonna, our gaze is going to now flip to the quality of the group. Now they're set up. And that's going to be the next few weeks, mate. Promise you.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I think we can start to wrap up then and or basically wrap up then. But, I, I you know, I, I still feel that we're a little hard done by in this game. Look, I'm not saying it's perfect performance. But, Clive, I think you hit the nail on the head in some respects. It's not a perfect team. But it's a team that played well enough to win a game against a good team that got a little unlucky, yep. that had the calls go against them. You had an 18-year-old at left wing. You a newly integrated. Granted, a superstar on the right wing, so I can't limit that. A guy out of form at center forward. A teenage forward at left back. You know, a 20-year-old guy who sees himself as a winger or a midfielder who's our backup right back, really. But right back. Mustafi at center back. You know, Sh- Shaka, who is nobody's ideal central midfielder. You know, getting it done in midfield. It's... it's It's not a team that has a right to walk on the pitch and blow people away. And saying that Sheffield is a newly promoted side is a way to advance an agenda in a way. I mean, it's true, but they're sixth in the table in a season when there's just not a lot of consistent performances. Again, nine of the top 11 teams dropped points this weekend. So it's just a crazy, crazy season. And Paul, I do want to talk about judging process over result as opposed to result over process. And for the people who are getting on Arteta's back already, who are suggesting somehow that it's not good enough, because we drew against Sheffield or drew against Palace. Um, look, when you make a prediction you have about a coach being bad or being good, you have a 50% chance of being right, right? So if I say, Arteta will be bad. Trust me, he's going to suck. I get a 50% chance. And if he sucks, I'm right. And if he's good, I'm wrong. It's a 50-50 shot. But that's not analysis, right? Because a lot of things happen along the way. And you have to look I at the problem. I actually
2: pro- think most coaches slowly fail.
1: Well, of course, yeah. At the end... Every coach sucks, right? By the end. Almost, yeah. yeah. No coach, very, very, very few coaches go out on a high, riding a high on their own terms. I mean, Fergie did it. Pep did it at Barca. Um, you know, I mean, Klopp may get to do it at Liverpool, and the sooner the better.
2: You can say Pochettino did it. You know, but yeah, not, not a, a super day, I mean, Pochettino even failed within,
1: massively at the end, to be fair. He was fired, sacked.
2: Yeah, but even if you took a three-year window, most coaches, coaches yeah. so, underwhelm or fail
1: so so here's my point right which is simply that you can start by saying i'm excited here's because here's why i think the arteta thing is different than the emory thing when emory was hired he had a long track record and you could look at his track record and say based on what i've seen and based on his style i think he'll be great or i think he'll be bad and you could defend that position you know how much we know about arteta as a coach nothing other than maybe what he's told he's never coached a team before as a as, as a first team head coach this is his first one. So we're all guessing a little bit. We can only go on the performances so far. He took over during the holiday program, the busiest time of the year. A dead squad that absolutely couldn't do anything right. Totally dysfunctional and missing lots of important pieces. Took it over with no time to prep or train them got them structured, got them better defensively. Now a shape where we're not, so our X, our XG allowed is better, our XG differential is better, our shots allowed is better, our deep completions allowed is better, our deep our, our final third entries are better. Statistically, a lot of things are better. The attack hasn't clicked. So for me, Paul, and I, I don't think anybody's going to look at me and say I'm a Pollyanna who's pr- prone to excessive optimism.
0: I Lord can't knows. look
1: at this any other way than saying what Arteta has done so far is phenomenal. It's fantastic. He's taken a very flawed team, missing a lot of key pieces in a really tough time of the year when they were dead and made them functional and look like they're on the right track. So, I mean, where do you fall on the idea of, because by the way, if people want to say the results haven't been good enough under Arteta, they're right. They haven't. I just cannot evaluate it that way. So is, is there, do you have room for people saying I'm going to judge based on results? Thank you very much. And they're not good enough. Or do you think that that's just hopefully short sighted? not to load the question too much.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think anybody who thinks we were going to have great results is getting greedy or is forgetting how things are or doesn't know much about how things go. I think our data is uh, done as well as I would have hoped and a bit more. Uh, again, results-wise, I might have hoped for more because that's the optimist in in the fo- in the football fan. You can kind of... You see every game and you think you can get a result. But the reality is this is a team that struggled to score one goal a game all season. Um, And it's very hard to, in this league, to achieve too much till you get to scoring two goals a game. We're not there yet. Um, I think you look at this team and you see process, you see cohesion. You can see a team that's playing in a way that makes sense for the players uh, we've stopped those moments that make you wonder how that player ever got to pull the, the shirt on. Everybody basically had a, somewhere between a solid and a good game, and a few players had a great game against uh, Sheffield. And this is a team where we would have had six, seven, eight players who we thought were a problem to the club. Um, so I think he's done a phenomenal job of getting players into positions where they can shine or look solid or take away their weaknesses, as Tim talked about. I mean, when was the last time we worried about Chaka being pressed? We're not. Um, he was a little quiet Yeah, he quiet turned the against, ball over
1: once really bad in this game, but notice where he did it. He did it 30 yards yeah, from their um, goal instead of 30 yards from our goal.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, if I'm remembering the, the incident, it was kind of over by the touchline. So yeah. you got him... You got him where away from where he was been dangerous. You got Torreira in the middle, who's basically very press resistant and is keeping the game simple. People will criticize him for, there's the old expression, you can't beat a plumber for not being an electrician. I think he can do some electrical work, but it's clear that's not what he's been asked to do. He's been asked to keep things simple. Maitland-Niles, keep it simple. Here are the two positions in the field you're supposed to hang out. And you alternate between the two of them uh, based on the, the where we are in possession and on the pitch. And you, you can see very logical patterns of behavior that are allowing each one of these players to be able to perform. And I'm hoping the, upkick, the uptick, the difference maker in these games is automatisms, that we start to click and play the ball faster and do what we did for that last 10 minutes of the first half, which I thought was really, really good. Uh, didn't get in the box enough, but everything else was really good about it. And it starts clicking and we can, you know, the second part of the game we need to be handled is we've gone to scoring first, which is good. We now have to stop. We uh, we look like we have the energy for the second half of the game now. We just we've got a lapse in us and we've got it, but it's getting better. We're much more solid and their goal kind of came out of nowhere. So I'm hopeful that we're we're building we, we may not be getting the results, but we haven't lost for a while apart from the Chelsea game, which was a re. if you're going to lose, there was a lot to take out of that game. Uh, everything else has at least been a draw and typically we've been ahead Um, and we had the United win. So I think they can start to build confidence around this and I think that'll help us in those second half games where we're now, we're expecting it and we, uh, as a group, they're starting to think, let's not, let's not put ourselves in that situation again. So I think we're getting stronger. I think we're more solid. There's a base to build on. There's some level of confidence and they just got to iron out some bugs. That's what, and some automatisms going the other way to get us into the box more often.
1: Yeah. Uh, Clive, final thoughts on that topic? And just sort of like the the process going in a direction that you recognize and understand and appreciate. I mean, look, Klopp finished eighth in his first season. It's an overstated statistic. Klopp is a very special coach. We knew that before he arrived at Liverpool, and we know that now. But, you know, the key when you take over in the middle of the season isn't to fix a broken season. It's to start a rebuilding process at some level. So do, do you agree, or do you think that, that it's fair to point to these results and, and question the direction?
3: No, I I, I, lo- I love the direction. I Because I, I, I sort of trust, the manager that he knows how to put a team out and I think that's good. I think more importantly I think he knows players and I think he knows how to make them feel comfortable on the pitch. I think that's really key. When you get players buying into you, they're not not stupid right? They've been in thousands of training sessions and have many different coaches for their careers, for their youth careers, international careers and when they get somebody in the room and knows what they're talking about, everyone knows in 10 minutes Right, they know in ten minutes, and when they, by the way, it goes the other way. When they're not having somebody, everyone knows pretty quickly, and everyone checks out and starts to look after themselves. That's what happened with the previous coach, right? They, after Baku, I'm sorry, mate, it was done for you. We worked for you for a season, but it's done. So, Arteta's obviously got them doing the things they like doing, and simplifying their roles and giving them clarity. He's given us all clarity, so we're all buying in. So I'm not looking at the results right now. I'm looking at the, the process, to quote you, earlier, And so now I'm starting to think, okay, I know you can set us up. I know you can scout other teams. I know you can get the most out of this group. Now I'm looking at the group. I'm seeing who's here for the medium term, who needs to be gone in the summer, who needs to carry the bucket for another year, and who how are we going to look in a year's time? Because... You know, Arsenal can't have two more years outside the Champions League. That can't happen. And that's got to be the goal. So how we get there is, is the next step. So I'm just looking at the group. I'm looking at the players and saying, you're a keeper, you're a keeper, you're not, you're not. That's what we need to find out because we have got to improve the quality. And I don't think all of that is coaching. I think you're doing a great job so far.
1: Yeah, I mean... I just agree, and and I'm look. If you're listening to this and you're furious and you're like, he doesn't have the experience, the job's too big for him. I can't argue with that. Like it don't, I don't have a good counter to that because he doesn't have the experience. It's just a question of how you value experience and and whether an experienced manager is by definition a good one. I look, this is a debate that can rage for a long time and will rage for a long time. I would simply say, and this is even true with Emery. I didn't want Emery. I mean, go back and listen to Emory podcast number one. Did not want him. Plenty of podcasts subsequently and Twitter posts and, and articles I wrote for The Athletic subsequently that were complimentary of things he did along the way. It just didn't work out. And I think you have to be willing to evaluate based on evidence. And right now, the evidence for me with Arteta is that there's improvement. So, you know, let's let's hope that continues. I don't think we need to do a Chelsea preview. There's just, I mean, unfortunately, not enough riding on the game. I, I, I think... 538 which does statistical modeling and you may hate them you may love them they have our top four chances at less than one percent and our relegation chances at two percent so you know i'm not going to talk top four unless and until there becomes a a reason to i think we can leave it there i'll have the live hot mic commentary for chelsea tomorrow and you can go to hot mic and check that out and i'll be posting about that on on twitter and discord and stuff like that We've got a lot of content second half of this week for patrons and and as we said for ages now those of you who are patrons, we really love and appreciate that you would do that uh, and and join us for that and if you haven't no big deal if it's not for you absolutely no big deal totally understand if you do want to do it the one thing I will promise you is we work really hard to make sure that you get a lot of stuff there so it it doesn't feel like you know you're just doing it for the heck of it uh, we appreciate the support but we also try to try to put a lot of content out there so it so it feels like Something that you're, you're happy to be a part of, and and the Discord is also great for that as well. But again, if it's not for you, totally understand we'll have a pod after the Chelsea match. Obviously, the hot mic commentary is, is free. We did a live show, uh, instant reaction show after the uh, Sheffield game that was free. So try to you know keep everybody feeling like there's plenty of good stuff because uh, we're all in it together. We love you, and we really appreciate you being here. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thanks, Clive.
3: Thank you very much.
1: Paul's on Twitter at My pants. Thanks, pause. Woo. My name is you can Block. on Twitter Yankee Gunner. Tim will be back uh, in the future. This is a tough week for him. Uh, Scott may sub in later this week as well, and uh, you know we'll have we'll have more from him in the future as well. So in any event, we love you. Hey, it's still a big game. It's still Chelsea away. No, no Aubameyang, but we do have the Golden God Martinelli. So hat trick from him to win the game is what I'm predicting, and I hope you enjoy it. But of course, we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Yes.
3: Chelsea yes.